Hello, fellow nerds, and welcome to our nerdiest thing. Today, I am live with a very special guest, author Andrea Tang. Andrea grew up in Princeton, New Jersey, and currently lives, writes, and works in the Washington, D.C. area. She loves martial arts in general and Brazilian jiu-jitsu in particular, and in her spare time, enjoys learning new sports and checking out live theater. Andrea is the author of Rebel Wing and its companion novel, Renegade Flight, as well as the up coming the kingdom of without welcome to the podcast andrea thank you so much for being here thank you so much for having me this is super exciting so i need to ask live theater do you do plays musicals all of the above what do you prefer to watch live all of the above musicals have a special place in my heart because i did grow up in new jersey which is like an out like specifically the part of new jersey that's like an hour outside of new york so like yeah. I grew up watching a lot of classic Broadway. That's um, awesome. My parents are also fans, but yeah, I also do like straight plays. I was in like Shakespeare performance troupe when I was an undergrad. So I've always oh, just been awesome. like a big general theater nerd. Wow, Shakespeare troupe that is like intense theater. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to the Bryn Mawr Shakespeare performance troupe. It's a, <laughs> it's a good time. It's a good time. <laughs> That's, do you remember your first what? Which musical was your first on Broadway show? Phantom of the Opera, actually. Mine too. Yeah. I remember being terrified because I think I was probably like six at the time <laughs> at most. So like all of the very like typical Andrew Lloyd Webber, like special effects. Yeah. With like the spooky, scary, gothic elements of that show were like very <laughs> scary to six-year-old me. And then when I saw it like years and years later as like an adult when I was living in England, like on the West End, we got cheap tickets, a friend of mine who's also a student and I I was like, oh, this is very different from the experience that my like child brain <laughs> yeah. recalls. It yeah, is it's not what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, that's a really, really cool show to see on Broadway, but not maybe not when you're six. I maybe I, not. I feel maybe that. not. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about how you decided or realized that you wanted to become an author. How did you make that happen for yourself? I mean, I think like a lot of authors who like make writing into their career they essentially take like their favorite childhood hobby and we just learn to professionalize it at a certain <laughs> point so like for me for example like I grew up as like a big nerd who just like carried a book everywhere I went like I got in trouble all the time because like it was okay when I was like a little kid to always have like a book with me at like my parents like adult engagements yeah. at like restaurants with their friends or like parties at other people's houses or whatever but like as I got a little older they were like Andrea can you please like not be reading Tamara Pierce <laughs> novels while we're at like a formal dinner party with our friends and you're supposed to be like socially engaging yeah no I my husband when we first got married he did like a intramural rec league basketball and I brought books with me <laughs> <to> <laughs> I still like I mean I think like it's in my bio that I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I compete regularly and like I never I very rarely read at a tournament but I'm always like convinced that I'm going to have time to and I'm always like worried that I'll be bored and have nothing yeah. to do while like waiting between matches it never happens I always end up like 
coaching somebody or watching someone else fight or whatever, or just being too nervous to focus on anything. But yeah. I always think of like packing a paper bag, sorry, a paperback, like in my gym bag and just being like, I just need this like in the bullpen in case, just in case. my water bottle and my electrolytes. Cause like, what if I'm bored? The worst thing ever. Right. No, I totally understand that. So have you always known that you wanted that writing, you know, hobby or childhood passion to become your job? Or is that something that you realized later on? Yeah, it was definitely something that I always wanted. I was really fortunate growing up to like have had like the experience of like, oh, like the kids author who comes in to do like a school event. And I was like, wow, there are adults with jobs who like make books. That's cool. I can do that when I'm an adult. And then when I got a little older, I I did have to reconcile with the reality that like Mm -hmm. very rarely do adults just like dive straight into writing books and doing nothing else. Usually there's like a day job involved or a really supportive spouse, the industry being what it is. So I did like do other work and I like always kind of planned out my life in a way that would accommodate working a nine to five while also writing um so so yeah so I definitely like planned it from the start but I like I I tried my best to be as financially realistic as possible about it right right yeah like all creative jobs right any kid that wanted to do something creative you have that realization of like wait I have to do something else to fund to fund the creative thing that I want to do that's a that's a tough grow up moment. I've exactly, been <laughs> exactly. It's like my friends who went on to become like dancers or like illustrators or actors where it's like, yes, that is a thing that you can do for a living yeah. if you are willing to kind of put your nose to the grindstone and do the work. But like, it, it's it's going to be a tough road to walk. <laughs> like, yeah. It is going to be lacking in the traditional forms of stability that a lot of other professions offer. So like, I don't think that turned me off of writing necessarily, but it was always just like this kind of like harsh capitalistic reality that I was like armed with from a very young age. Yeah. Um, Well, tell me a little bit about jujitsu. So you're a jujitsu, you're a champion, right? Like that's correct terminology. Yeah, technically. Yes. (laughs) I would, I would would have so many shirts and like name badges like champion <laughs> I think it's you make me champion with me. thank you <laughs> yeah no I think when I won Europeans I was finally like okay I feel like I've won enough like cool titles that I can like put it in my bio as like a yeah now to so, make it stand out a little bit <laughs> sure well because you travel internationally to compete right I do I do I just started doing that this year before this year I like mostly competed locally and then like my coach promoted me to the purple belt rank, which for people who don't know jujitsu terminology, that's like popularly considered the first of like the really like kind of like advanced ranks in jujitsu. So when you're in that division, especially as a woman in an already kind of male dominated combat sport, Mm -hmm. it gets harder and harder to find competition on the local scene. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll cast a wider net. I'll travel a little, I'll make a little adventure of it. I'll save up some money. Uh, yeah. And before I knew it, I was competing internationally. So that's amazing. So how did you get into jujitsu as a hobby in general? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I was always a really big martial arts nerd. Like my uncle was like super into it. And I kind of like grew up with like karate and taekwondo and all of the like kind of like popular traditional martial arts as a kid. Um, and so like, as an adult, it was like, like it was like the form of physical culture that I tended I think I just like gravitated towards most naturally mm-hmm. um and I think I like dabbled and bounced off of a few things before I found jujitsu, and that was really kind of what stuck for me um and part of that was also like I felt like it was 
I, I really liked the versatility of it. Like I liked that it was really accessible to a lot of body types and age groups and you could be really yeah. creative with it. Um, I liked that it was something where you could compete as much or as little as you wanted, which is a lot mm-hmm. harder in like the hard striking arts like kickboxing and Muay Thai and MMA, which I do cross train from time to time. Like, I think that's really fun as well. Yeah. Um, but like, you can't really say, take like a Muay Thai smoker like every weekend. Whereas if you wanted to, you could like go and like sign up for your local jujitsu tournament every weekend. I don't recommend it. That would get expensive and probably would not be very good for your body in the long I run. I was just about to ask. Right? <laughs> like you maybe shouldn't do that if you're not planning on becoming like a professional combat sports athlete, but right. it is like an option in a way that it isn't for a lot of other martial arts. That's really cool. So I'm assuming because especially with Rebel Wing and Renegade Flight, your characters are basically warriors, right? So I'm assuming that your knowledge through martial arts helped you as you were writing different scenes of how you would need to move your body in those different ways, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think like I I always tell people that my favorite part of writing is dialogue. Um, Mm -hmm. And for me, I think because I kind of grew up on martial arts and because I remain kind of like an active combat sports competitor, I sort of think of action scenes as like an extended form of dialogue. It's just physicality Mm -hmm. instead. Um, I think like there are there are more prolific and impressive authors than I have who have like written really great essays on this. Fonda Lee comes to mind immediately, Alexander Darwin, both martial artists who also write like phenomenal action scenes. Um, but yeah, I love writing action because it's like a language that I've spoken for most of my life. Right. Um, certainly most of my adult life. And it's and it's and it's just like a wonderful extension of like the fun that you can have with like witty banter in your in your like everyday dialogue when you're writing characters. Um, it's just more violent generally. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So with Rebel Wing and with Renegade Flight, those obviously you know they have warriors and fighters, but they're also fighting with like basically robot dragons. Yeah, is that too crude of a way to say that? Or no, is that, that is a hundred. That was a hundred percent my pitch <laughs> when I was querying that novel. I was like, okay, like, but just imagine you could sell this to a publishing house, Mister Agent, Miss Agent, with a giant robot dragon on the cover. Is that not great <laughs> marketing? <laughs> Right. Well, tell me a little bit about where that story, where the, that world came from, because it's uh, kind of, it's kind of random. <laughs> right? It is, it is. It is. Um, I, yeah. So among my many like nerdy interests growing up, I was like a big anime kid. Mm. Uh, so I watched a lot of mecha anime. I watched a lot of monster anime. I was a huge Pacific Rim fan when that came out. And I was like, okay, you have like giant robots, you have giant monsters. Like, what if you made like monster robots? That would be kind of cool. Like, like all of the robots in Pacific Rim are really cool, but they're humanoid. Like, what if they were shaped like the kaiju and like shaped like dragons and wyverns and things? I think that would be kind of like a fun mental exercise. Um, So that was kind of where like that seed got planted. And then because I like live in like the greater Washington DC area, Mm -hmm. um, and at the time was working in like risk advisory and like heavily involved in like international affairs adjacent work. I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. so take the robot dragons and insert political intrigue. Boom, we have a plot now. All right, let's roll. (laughs) Yeah. Well, did you feel a lot of pressure just like from within yourself to do a lot of kind of like mechanical research or did you feel free to not worry about 
real mechanics and just go with your own world that you were creating? Definitely the latter, mostly because I am not smart enough <laughs> to intelligently research actual engineering. And I, I say feel like I would feel like that too. You yeah. Know? Like, and I say this, like my father is a physicist at the Princeton Plasma Physics Lab. Some of my best friends have gone to schools like MIT. Shout out to Catherine Redfield, who was one of my early readers. Catherine um, Redfield. Brilliant computer scientist. Yeah. Um, like... And, and so I was like, I, I, I love and admire these people. I'm not as smart as they are. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to write this the way they would. (laughs) Um, So I kind of like, I treated it almost like science fantasy. Like there's a little nod, I think, to like the tech in there, but for the most part, it's almost like contemporary fantasy with a science aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, in much the way that a lot of mecha anime is um, in the way that I would argue Pacific Rim definitely was. Thanks, Guillermo del Toro, for that. (laughs) A plus. Um, But yeah, no, what was hilarious, though, was like my father, who like very earnestly supports me as an adult, even though like I did not, tragically did not walk in his footsteps as a (laughs) scientist because alas, I'm bad at math and almost flunked chem in high school. But he was like, no, I want to read your book. I want to like support you and like what you're doing. So like he read it and I was like, he's going to have so many notes on the side. <laughs> right, like, this, like... this is a man who like took me to see, I think like the second Tobey Maguire, like Spider-Man, Spider-Man movie yeah, yeah, yeah. and like complained the entire time that like Doc Ock was wrong <laughs> about fusion. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like whatever. It's, it's a Marvel mu- movie. Like calm down, dad. Right. So I was like, oh, he's definitely going to have notes on my robot dragons. But he was like, shockingly chill about it he was like you actually got like a surprising amount right about ai i love that he was like no no you aren't that far off and i was like i feel like you are just trying to be nice because it's published and in print now and i can't actually fix anything i appreciate (laughs) that thanks dad (laughs) yeah if i can't fix it in five minutes don't tell me right (laughs) right but yeah he was very kind in his in his scientific reading of my robot dragon book oh i love that i read renegade flight and really enjoyed it a lot which that's the thing i love about fantasy fantasy as a genre in general I, i feel like a lot of people whether you like fantasy or not you can read a description for a book and be like I don't know about this, but if you know that you've read any kind of fantasy and liked it, then you're probably going to like this kind too. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, So you have the kingdom of without that's Mm. coming up soon. When does, when does that come out? Uh, literally check my math two days from now. We're chatting on Sunday, November 26th. It's out on the 28th. So, so it'll be live by the time this. Yeah, uh, it should be on awesome. shelves by the time this 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 episode airs. So that's exciting. So is this part of the Rebel Wing world? Is this completely different? It is completely different. I will make an argument that like you could actually write pretty realistic crossover fan fiction between the Rebel Wing world and the like Kingdom of Without, but technically it does take place in two entirely separate universes. Um at least by necessity, because one is published by Penguin, one is published by Simon and Schuster. In my head, as the author, yeah. I'm like, I think this could take place in the same cyberpunk <laughs> dystopian future. But that is that is you know that is up to creative interpretation. Yeah. Well, the challenge has been leveled by the author here, so right. <laughs> we expect fan fiction now. Oh Everybody yes, send it, send do. it our way. 
absolutely. So does King the Kingdom of Without, does that have the same, some of the same themes of uh, artificial intelligence or, you know, warrior characters or are the themes completely different as well? It does. I think it has a lot of similarities, especially to Rebel Wing, which was, I think, like, between Rebel Wing and Renegade Flight, I think Rebel Wing, like, leaned way harder into, like, a lot of the, like, political conspiracy stuff. Like, Renegade Flight mm-hmm. did as well, yeah. but it was, like, much meatier in Rebel Wing. Renegade Flight had a bit more of, like, school story and like other stuff on um whereas kingdom of without it doesn't have the giant robots and monsters but it is like fundamentally like a part of like the cyberpunk genre so it's going to have those elements of this kind of like grimy semi-dystopian future-ish world um what's fun about kingdom of without is that it also technically takes place off the presupposition of an alternate history so it's like in a version of Mm. beijing that exists because like a hundred years ago, um, this man who Kai, uh, who originally declared himself emperor and historically did not actually remain emperor and did not go on to have like this long-lasting dynasty. In this world, he did. So we have this like hmm. almost high fantasy-esque imperial court mixed in with like the kind of cyberpunk aesthetic which is really fun and I think kind of unique to the world building of Kingdom of Without but like you asked thematically whether it's similar to Rebel Wing and Renegade Flight and I would say yes because it is still at the end of the day it is still like a very politically charged story it Um, is very much about revolution and social upheaval and change and like you know social justice and economic justice in particular mm -hmm. Um, so in that respect I think it's very very much cut from the same cloth. Awesome. So you were talking about this book at Imaginarium, I think, because I remember the cyberpunk. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was, Okay, I was. it's coming Good back memory. to me. Well done. <laughs> it's coming back to me now. Right. Um. Well, awesome. And that will be live by the time this uh, airs. So everybody needs to go find Kingdom of Without. Yes, please and do. And read it. <laughs> Give positive reviews and tag Andrea. <laughs> Yes. Thank you. Uh, So we're going to go into a couple of different speed rounds. So first is going to be the nerdy and dirty speed round where I'm just going to give you a prompt and you just share the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Yes. I like my heart rate just like, like (laughs) I rocketed a little bit. All the pressure. (laughs) Uh, What kind of music does one of your main characters listen to? You can just pick whichever main character you want. Uh, so I'm going to go with Prue, who was my first heroine in Rebel Wing. And I think she listens to some pop punk. I think she's like in that phase where she's like, a like, a, like she's a teenager. She's like a little bit embarrassed by how like stereotypically teenage that <laughs> genre is, but it's so full of bops that I think she can't really help herself. So she's just like, you know what? Like, let, like let her rip. Also, <laughs> I feel like it would just be fun piloting a giant robot dragon while like absolutely jam into some pop punk. So I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. give her I'm gonna give her that. <laughs> it would be like mood music for exactly <laughs> for the robot dragon for sure. <laughs> uh what is your favorite pizza topping? I really like sausage and mushroom. Mm, that combination specifically. Yeah. Now I that's what I want to eat. <laughs> what is your go-to karaoke song? Ooh. Anything ABBA, I think. I think that anything ABBA, anything you can find on the Mamma Mia soundtrack, one of the greatest films of all time. Yes, it's so <laughs> um, good. <laughs> it's just like, like, 
it's like they're all like fun upbeat songs and they're universally singable like you're not gonna have like i love queen but occasionally you get a queen song with like an awkward high note that's like yes. just out of the range that you've picked whereas like you don't really have to worry about that with abba that's so true like it's more karaoke friendly I've never really thought about that with ABBA before, but that's true. It is a much more doable range for right? extremely people. singable for all ranges. Yeah, they were so smart. Yeah. Uh, if you were Miss World, what would your talent be? So I don't think I've watched a Miss World pageant since <laughs> I was like 10. So I don't remember what the examples of like the different talents were. So I'm just going to go off of having watched Miss Congeniality like of course. Times at this point. And I think I would steal Gracie Lou Freebush's act and just like <laughs> give like a jujitsu demonstration on stage because that would be easy. And I do that anyway because I teach jujitsu lessons to children um, as part of my yeah. income these days. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> done and done. Female empowerment, show off a little physicality. Yes. Like, the the ladies in the audience can go home with some useful knowledge and perhaps inspiration <laughs> yeah. to roll at their local gym. Win win all around. Right. No, I think that's a great idea, and I would I would vote for you for Miss World in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> Who is a book character that you would get nerdy and dirty with? So I wanted to. Ask, okay, so I I remember. <laughs> looking at this question and being like I feel like I need to ask a follow-up by nerdy and dirty what what do we mean by the dirty part of this it's very vague and open-ended it can be however clean or not you want it can mean you know dirty chai lattes okay (laughs) all right I like the creative range here yeah Huh. And it can be like any, so it doesn't like so it doesn't have to be one of my characters it can be like a book no it doesn't have to be yeah oh man um and that I does make it harder to answer though that does <laughs> make it harder that many to choices that, like that yeah that does like really spoil me for choice um hmm I think I want to throw it back to like my my good old Tamara Pierce days and say like Numair from the Tortal novels the like tall dark and like slightly broody yeah. like mage nerd man um, <laughs> apparently according to word of god looks like young jeff goldblum which i think is hilarious um, well all right <laughs> right i was like okay not the way i pictured new mare when i was like 13 and reading these books but like no according to one of my friends that's what tamara pierce said in an interview and i was like all right never gonna watch Jurassic park the same way again right um i mean okay that's but yeah young in the jeff books, he's like both kind of a ladies man but also like he's like simultaneously like a ladies man like this super powerful sorcerer dude who's like kind of scary but also just like a huge nerd who just like likes books and experiments so I was like okay I feel like nerdy and dirty is kind of like quintessentially like the new mayor descriptor regardless of how interpreted so I feel like I can't really go wrong with that one I think that was an excellent choice Uh, what is the weirdest thing in your fridge right now Oh man, my fridge back in DC or in Arlington technically is very empty right now because I like tried so desperately to like cook all of my leftovers before leaving to spend yeah. a week at my parents' yeah. house. <laughs> so uh, now I'm trying to think back on like what even is left in my fridge at the moment. Um, I think like, oh God, what's in there right now? I think I would have like maybe... I I might have like no I know for a fact I have like a bunch of coconut waters in there right now um 
you I, like coconut water, the post-workout drink? Yep, yep. Yeah. I have a bunch of coconut waters in there. I like them in smoothies. I don't, I feel like that's not like a weird thing to have in the fridge, but like absent no. anything else in the fridge, it might, it's like, I feel like if you opened up like a largely empty fridge and just found like a bunch of coconut waters and maybe like a single like bag of produce, you'd probably be like, what is this person? <laughs> I think like there's an egg carton with like two eggs in there still as well. Uh, <laughs> And like some old rice that I'm probably going to turn into fried rice when I get home tomorrow. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think like it's the bare less, bones. Any, less any single item and more just like the, I think the collective of like this weird mismatch, like kind of like mismatched collection of food items at home. Oh, wait, I thought of a better answer. Child, <laughs> like children's go-go applesauce, the, the kind that you can like suck from those little yeah. snack packs. I started buying those religiously because they actually are like a really handy snack during the day when you just need yeah. like a quick burst of energy. But like, and like one of my friends got me turned on to it when we were traveling for a tournament together. But then, and I was like, this is great because she gave me a bunch of hers. I was like, I'm going to start buying them on my own. And, but then when I went to buy them off of Amazon and I looked at the reviews, all of them were like, this is a great product. My child loves it. My six-year-old yeah. like eats these like constantly. And I was like, it's me. I am the six-year-old. I own it. All right. Like, so that's my answer. The like six-year-old child's applesauce go-go pack thing. Yeah. My four-year-old does like those a lot. There you go. Your four-year-old and I have something in common. Yeah. Good uh, snack taste is what yeah. that is. Right. Um, who is a celebrity crush that you have that other people just don't get? Mm, this one is tough. I feel like most of my celebrity crushes are like pretty mainstream for the most mm. part. Cause like I like I like my Oscar Isaac, my Henry yes. Golding. Like I'm mm-hmm. yes. I have like very, very predictable taste for the most part. Um, I feel like if I really wanted to dive into like weird celebrity crushes, I'd have to think of like kind of obscure ones. Like mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm sure there's somebody I could think of from like the jujitsu or like MMA world that like people would be like less likely to know about mm-hmm. uh, who would be like a celebrity within that world. Um, but, yeah. Like, maybe, maybe not so much in like the, the mainstream world. Now I'm trying to think of who that would even be. Um, oh God. And also like, like the last thing I need is for me to like say a name and have it like get back to this person as well. Um, they're basically colleagues, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Cause like the MMA world is like not that large. Um, <laughs> well, let hmm. me ask you this, um, Pedro Pascal, hot yes. or not hot? Would be, hot? I mean, not at the top of my list, but like, if I were like swiping on a dating app and like I came across him or he like took an interest in me, I'd be like, all right, I'll have a coffee with you. Like you seem like you'd be a fun time. I feel like he's a controversial, like he's one of my celebrity crushes and Mm -hmm. Deb and Mindy like do not get it. They're like, he looks like, like he needs a shower. (laughs) They don't get it at all. Yeah. But But I see the appeal though. Like not, he's not exactly my type, but I do see why people like him. And I think a lot of it is just like the Riz, like he's got that swagger to him. Yep. And the voice too. It's a good, it's a good voice. It is a good voice. (laughs) Would you prefer a small town romance or an action packed thriller? Hmm. See, my brain, which loves genre bending, wants to combine these two things. I'm like, why not an action packed? (laughs) 
small town romance let's make it happen sure um but yeah at the moment I will say um action just because of the reasons I cited earlier where I'm like I love writing action I love watching action I've seen all the John Wick movies like it's very very much my jam but this is not to diss small town romances I feel like a lot of people think you have to be like one or the other and I'm like no you I can really dig like a quiet romance plot as well I can too yeah um I have to be in the mood for it though so would you go on a UFO if you were invited I think maybe not because I tend to be pretty risk averse and I'm just like, you know, if this something goes wrong aboard this, like I already like was kind of freaked out by that story about the submarine that went looking for the Titanic. I would not oh have my gosh. that submarine. And I'm like, yeah. if I'm afraid of like going on a thing that's like, that that is still like strictly tethered to the earth. I don't think that I necessarily have the chutzpah to get on board a thing that is going into literal outer space. Yeah. So. Yeah, that is is my sad reality, unfortunately. I'm the same way. So I think that's smart, not sad. (laughs) The exact same (laughs) way. Validating me. (laughs) Yeah. We've seen all those lifetime movies. So we know what choices need to be made, right? Right. Um, What was your favorite childhood book? Wrinkle in Time, I think. Oh, that's a really good one. Yeah. Wrinkle in Time was really the book that was like my gateway drug to both science fiction and fantasy, I would argue, because it's a little bit of both. And it just like stuck under my skin and really got my heart and just love Madeline Lungle. Yeah. I I just read the graphic novel version of A Wrinkle in Time with my nine-year-old. So, and he was equal parts. I really like this, but it's also really weird. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is the correct response to have. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I was like, no, that's kind of how everybody feels about it. Yep. 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 And we love her for it. (laughs) Yeah. What is your favorite board game? I board game person I don't really like board games in general I think this stems from like a period in my life when I was like helping to run war games for like a think tank type operation in DC yeah yeah in general very stressful to me because I had turned it into labor um sure yeah but if I had to pick um I'm gonna go with Clue just because I really like movie Clue so. Yeah, I was just, my brain immediately went to the movie and not to the game when you said that. Right, That's yeah, <laughs> but I was just like, I feel like I, I don't think I've ever actually played the game, but I'm going to assume that I would enjoy it on principle because of the movie. Right, yeah. <laughs> just gonna just, go on faith here. Yeah, just do all the movie quotes while you play the board game and it'll there be great. There you go. <laughs> uh, and then last in the nerdy and dirty section, what is a guilty pleasure you have that you don't normally share with other people? Oh man, there are so many of them. Are not all writers just secret like goblin old people? <laughs> like deep down, like who among us does not have like weird habits that we would rather not share that we are then made to share <laughs> on publicly aired interviews? Sure, there's <laughs> you know positive peer pressure over here. <laughs> yeah, uh, guilty pleasures that I don't normally share with people. Um, probably watching like the truly like really bad Netflix shows like at weird hours of the night like typically when I'm on deadline for a book that I'm like right. stuck on and I'm kind of just like all right I'm just gonna like have a snack and put on this <laughs> show that I know has objectively bad writing but has just like employed just enough tropes and tricks of the trade that I now yep. recognize as craft tools to suck you in <laughs> right 
and like and I and I know what they're doing but I know it's gonna work anyway especially if the cast is hot enough yeah <laughs> like I will just watch it anyway and this accomplishes two things it entertains me like just like on a very like shallow low stakes level and number two maybe a little egotistical but it gives me that little confidence boost where I'm like okay well if this got to air on like you know <laughs> on a major television streaming platform surely what I'm writing can't be that bad like, <laughs> yeah. it might not be great but like right look at where the bar is if they can do it anyone right? can right? and not only did they make it onto a major streaming platform I a person who probably should know better <laughs> is actively enjoying it despite myself so <laughs> that's great uh so now I'm going to ask you three tough questions is what we call this section and these are really questions about your writing mm-hmm. um may- maybe more your writing process than than anything else sure. so the first one is do you relate to any of your main characters or do you write characters that are opposite of you I think that I relate a little bit to every character that I write, good, bad, major, minor. If they have like any kind of presence on the page and we get into their internal life at all, I think there's got to be some point on which I kind of get them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I feel like it's like, oh God, I forgot. I wish I remembered whose quote this was, but I think there's like a like a like a weird literary quote about writers or somebody said something like writers aren't really people there are a lot of people pretending to be one person and like I think I heard that as a teenager and I was like yeah that tracks like I kind of get that um so so yeah no like to answer the actual question like yeah I would say that I relate to all three of the heroines in the books we've discussed so far just in very different ways sure yeah, I think you have to be able to relate to the character that you're writing to be able to write a good character, Agreed. right? Like, because if if you can't relate to them as a as the author, then your reader may not be able to relate to them either. Right. And then exactly. that's then then you're in a real pickle, right? Totally. <laughs> so, <laughs> so next, what are the essential characteristics of a hero that you can root for? So when you're writing your hero characters, what do you want to make sure they have as traits? I think it's hard for me to write a hero that's not at least a little bit funny. Mm. Um, I've written some darker stuff, especially in Kingdom of Without. Um, and there are some like heavier elements to that plot line. There's some heavier elements even to like, um, I think out parts of the the books that I've previously written with Rebel Wing and Renegade Flight. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I think like no matter how dark certain parts of the story get and how serious some of the themes are it's really like I think it's just in my personality to want to insert a little bit of levity here and there Um, and so I really like a character that is capable of not taking themselves that seriously or if they do take themselves a little too seriously kind of the way my heroine in Renegade Flight did for example Mm -hmm. there are other characters there to kind of balance her out and kind of like take the piss out a little bit Um, but yeah because I think you you really want that contrast in there yeah. I love the random when, when I'm reading a book, even like you're saying, even if it's heavy um, or tense, those moments of levity that, you know, not necessarily like a jester character, but just right. anytime you can throw in those 
random jokes and one-liners. I really, I love to read stuff like that. That's very enjoyable for me. Um, And then last on the tough questions, do you have a process for choosing a title for your books or do you just have titles come to you suddenly that are like, yes, that's what it is? I mean, my process so far has been emailing my agent and or actually usually my agent emailing me and be like, being like, do you have a title for this? And me being like, no, here are like six different ideas that I came up <laughs> yeah. with off the top of my head. Do you like any of them? And she'll be like, I like like maybe two of these. Here are some more. And I'm like, mm, okay, I see what you're driving at. I will pitch some more. Let's get the <laughs> let's get my editor onto this thread now. Okay, there are 20 more titles. Okay, let's keep this thread going. I think the the coming up with a title email thread for Rebel Wing like wound up being like 50 emails long before we eventually <laughs> settled on Rebel Wing. Uh, so that's my process for coming up with a title. Just bring more people and more ideas into right, it and eventually right. the right And then one. eventually yeah. we'll find something that all three of the people don't hate and that sure. also the like marketing slash sales department of the publisher house excuse me publishing house I'm working for will actually approve which is really Mm. the important part there yeah well that's what I was just about to ask is is it when you have multiple people weighing in on titles are, are you ever able to choose a title that you are all excited about or is it like yeah that one's fine (laughs) you know what I mean with so many different opinions I think I've been really like fortunate with my publishing teams and that they give me a fair amount of creative freedom with stuff where so like even though like marketing or sales might be like okay the title needs to follow these like trend based constraints based on our like marketing number crunching witchcraft that I don't understand (laughs) I can like often work within those parameters and will often come down to like two or three finalist titles and like my agent will be like, I kind of like this one. My editor will be like, I kind of like this one. But then they'll bring the final decision to me and be like, it's ultimately up to you, the author, which of these like two or three that we've kind of settled on you want, yeah. like what feels right to you. So I feel like that's actually like a quite a fair compromise. Yeah. No, I love that. I love when authors get to have basically final say or at least majority say mm-hmm. on their own, you know, creative work. Right, right. Think. Everybody wins there, right? Totally. <laughs> um, so now I'm going to ask you two random questions. Okay. And these are just random. <laughs> so the first one is, if you could choose any movie to watch again for the first time, what movie would it be? Hmm. Again, this is one of those questions where it's like, do you want me to come up with like a top five? Because I think- <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just because it, we've been in such a like, spooky cold weather spell and I'm a Halloween girly at heart but um I think like right now I would say Crimson Peak um I remember the first time I saw that movie uh I was on like a Halloween roommate date with my friend Catherine whom I mentioned earlier actually and shout out to Catherine shout out to Catherine (laughs) (laughs) um and like I think like one or both of us had originally had plans to go out with like guys on for drinks or something it fell through and we're like "Eh, whatever let's just go out and like do something for halloween together instead and so we went to see crimson peak and i just remember it was like the perfect halloween movie it had like the gothic romance it had like the light horror elements but like wasn't so scary that i had nightmares tom hiddleston was in it 
Like costuming was beautiful. Guillermo del Toro was doing his whole thing. There was Mm -hmm. a genuinely disturbing twist, but also like kind of a happy ending. So yeah, yeah, no, I think like that the like everything I remember about the whole experience around watching that movie is something that would be fun to repeat. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I haven't actually seen that movie. So you're making me want to add it to my list. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I don't love scary movies, but if it's not like nightmare inducing, <laughs> maybe yeah, I would be okay. Like, it was a little scarier than I expected it to be. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. between gothic horror and gothic romance, I this was definitely sold to me as more of a gothic romance, and I'm seeing a lot of horror elements here. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think like it, like it was a strong enough movie in other aspects that I was able to forgive it for the occasional jump scare. Also, the musical cues were sufficient for me to cover my eyes in time. So mm, yes. thank you, Guillermo. Yeah, I I appreciate that too. Like, oh, something's gonna happen. Let me go to the bathroom now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's how I am. And then last random question: What is your favorite useless fact or useless tidbit of knowledge that you have, but are like, what am I gonna do with this? <laughs> Oh, I had lunch with my friend today who was a biology major and she's been reading up on a bunch of nonfiction lately. And she shared with me that there is a type of cleaner fish that has evolved the ability, like, so the adult and like the juveniles in the species have Mm -hmm. different markings. And apparently over time, this specific species of cleaner fish has evolved the ability to just change those markings randomly at will. um, Because apparently adult, fish in the species are like likelier to get attacked but also likelier to like bond with like the other fish that it's supposed to be cleaning for so it, I guess it's easier for adults to get jobs in the aquatic mm. world much like ours um but if you like put on juvenile like if you appear as a juvenile in the species you're less likely to like get eaten by other predators or attacked by other members That's interesting of the and so like yeah so apparently they haven't always been able to do this but like in recent strains of the species they've like just like evolved to like be able to like flip back and forth between appearing to be very young and like a fully mature adult a thing that I often wish that humans could do I I was just thinking that would be kind of (laughs) nice because I still sometimes I have no idea what I'm going to do with that but I was like that's actually really interesting thank you for telling me that Diana In my head, sometimes I'm still like 21. And then I'm like, no, I'm almost 40. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe if I could turn back time, that would, that would be great. Yeah. I mean, I, I am, I've hit my thirties and I still get seated at the kids table for Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I totally get that. So you've got the kingdom of without coming out, um, in a couple of days. Do you have plans for what you're going to be working on next? Are you already working on a new project? Yes. So I actually, because of the way the deadlines for my various project contracts shook out, I actually have another novel with Penguin that is also out shortly. Oh, uh, awesome. These Deadly Prophecies. It is a contemporary fantasy slash murder mystery. Speaking of- Ooh. Um, and it will be out this February. Um, so it will be coming hot on the heels of Kingdom of Without. So definitely something to keep an eye out for. Awesome. And what's the title of that one again? The uh, These Deadly Prophecies. These Deadly Prophecies. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to mark my calendar for that one. That sounds right. awesome. Um, so I know we met at Imaginarium last year. Are you going to be at Imaginarium this coming year? That's the hope. I haven't nailed down dates on my calendar yet, but like, I would love to come back to Imaginarium. It was just like, it was such a positive 
first festival was great for me yeah like, I yeah like 10 out of 10 no notes just like they did a fantastic job with it yeah it was a really great event do you have any other festivals or book signings or anything coming up on the horizon uh let's see by the time this episode launches I will have already probably done my launch for kingdom of without which is at uh my favorite local indie shop, One More Page Books. Big shout out to the staff there for continually hosting my launches ever since my Rebel Wing days. Uh, aside That's from awesome. that, um, off the top of my head, I'm not sure that I have anything specific on my calendar. I think I have a couple more podcast appearances coming up. Um, I might be doing a school event down the line. Um, but yeah, no, I would definitely like to get out to like more, more festivals, do more in-person events now that we can. Sure, um, yeah. just, just chat with readers more. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun and I genuinely really enjoy it. It is really, really fun. Um, so where can we find you online and where can we get your books? Ah, great question. So of my social media handles, I am probably most active on Instagram. Uh, you mm -hmm. can find me at a Tang writes, A T A N G W R I T E S. Um, it's the same handle on Twitter as well and all of the various kind of like not quite Twitter platforms that have sprung <laughs> yeah. up in the wake of the weird X evolution thing. Um, yes. I haven't learned how to use them yet because I'm old. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so Instagram is probably your best bet. Uh, but yeah, you can also find me at my website at andreatangwrites.com, which is linked via my Insta bio. And you can find my books pretty much anywhere books are sold. Um, I always encourage people to shop indie if they can. Um, sure, so yeah. yeah, so ask for my titles from your local indie shops. Um, but yeah, just in general, like support the book industry. Yeah. Do you sell any books um, through your website or just through book re retailers? Uh, just through retailers. But my website does have links to retailers. So like if you go to my website, there'll be a page of like my backlist. And if you click through that, you should be able to find links to like, like Barnes and Noble, Amazon, like sure. a million, wherever you want to buy. So well, awesome. So last but not least, we always finish our podcast episodes by sharing what our nerdiest thing of the week was. And a lot of times it's book related, but it doesn't have to be just anything that we are really excited about that we feel like we nerded out about or that is just a nerdy topic. So we would love to know what your nerdiest thing of the week would be. My nerdiest thing of the week. Oh, let's see. Hmm. You know, my nerdiest thing of the week might actually have been that conversation with my friend this afternoon, <laughs> just because literally we like sat down to have lunch and catch up and spent like half of that lunch, just like talking about like fun marine biology facts that she had unearthed in her recent <laughs> spare time reading while she right. was bored. And I was like, and me just being like, oh, this is so cool having this explained to me. I would never have learned these things otherwise. <laughs> I was not a biology major, but I still think it's awesome. I mean, it is cool to hear yeah. about what animals can <laughs> so do I think, stuff like I think, that. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to beat out that moment. <laughs> That's funny because I was thinking that exact same thing. I bet that conversation is the nerdiest thing. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Well, Andrea, it's been so great to talk to you. It was great to talk to you and meet you in person at Imaginarium. So I was really looking forward to having this conversation with you tonight. So thank you so much for being on with us. 
Thank we appreciate you. it. Yeah, no, I mean, the feeling is mutual. You guys ran such a phenomenal panel at Imaginarium. I had so much fun. Oh, so thanks. I've been looking forward to this interview for like a really, really long time, mostly just because I wanted oh, the excuse to chat with you guys again. So oh, thank you. Hopefully well, we are happy. <laughs> We're happy to have you whenever. So awesome. <laughs> if you want to come back, awesome. or... I'll hold you to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially for the book release in February too. Just yeah. uh, shoot, shoot me a message anytime and we'll get it set up on the calendar if you want to. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your night. You too. All right. Bye. Bye.